Welcome to the Focus Forward Business Podcast for StudyMcKee.com. Hey, welcome to the Focus Forward Business Podcast. This is Sturdy McKee, your host, and I'm here today with Lois Barth. Lois is a human development expert, speaker, life, business, and leadership coach, and author of the book, Courage to Sparkle. She works with heart-centered go-getters and mission-centered leaders who crave greater meaning, fulfillment, and impact in their lives, both personally and professionally. So, of course, I'm going to love this conversation. Um, She's been quoted and published in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Self Magazine, to name a few. And she's spoken all over the place, but I really wanted to call out, including at the Women in Trucking Conference. (laughs) So maybe we could talk about that too. So Lois lives in New York. Uh, Welcome, Lois. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, Sturdy, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. I appreciate it. I saw your eyes sparkle when you talked about women in trucking. We could definitely talk about that. I love it. I love it. I mean, the things that are a little bit outside the kind of expected, right? Um, We all get a little too much, too caught up in our routines and expectations. So, um, so yeah, let's start with you sharing a little bit more about who you are and what you're current, what are you currently working on? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Thank you so much for asking. Uh, well, my signature, my, my brand is the Courage of Sparkle. And yes, I wear a lot of bling bling. I'm a little bling bling like today. Um, but I really, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor to shine bright, to share our gifts and to make a difference. And oh my goodness, I just find that so many teams and groups and individuals are on dimmers. And I believe that we have these inextinguishable light within us, but life does put us on dimmers. And so what I really do is I work with groups and individuals to really identify what are those dimmers and what are the adjustments they need to make in both mindset and methodology and how how those can be conflated to really moving forward in people's lives, personally, professionally. So my signature keynote training program is lead with your sparkle when the pathway is dim. And it's really about, first of all, debunking the myths that leadership has to be amount of people reporting to you rather than you can have self-leadership. You're laughing, that laugh of recognition. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah, that command and control kind of legacy is still so pervasive and that's not really how things are working at least well. Not at all. Exactly. And, and to really look, there's kind of this new, niche called self-leadership, which I really like. I think it's a mm. great term because it's really about a mindset and and like a sense of ownership and being really clear who you are, what your values are, and being authentic. And we'll we'll unpack authentic because it's kind of one of those buzzwords, but what does it really mean? And how does it show up in teams and organizations and even in relationships? Yeah. Well let's go with that because I do think that's, you know, it's a word we hear a lot about. And I I know that I guess it was some time ago, but when I first kind of heard heard it, I'm like, well, if I do that, nobody's going to stick around. So what do we, yes. what, do, what, do, what do we do? How do we be our authentic selves? And what does that really actually mean? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's a, it's a big buzzword, you mm. know, um, and I think it's such an important one. It's um, what it's not. Sometimes it's easy to define by what something's not. It's not a pass for, uh, thoughtless, nasty, or brazen behavior. <laughs> People sometimes, right. believe it or not, think, oh, I'm just being authentic or like, I'm just being honest. No, you're being mean and irresponsible. <laughs> right. So I, I think it's really very connected with one's um, integrity mm. and what makes one different. And 
And I think it's just such a important, I, I think about it. Um, I'm recently have a new version of my book. And one story that comes to me, my background is in acting and uh, stand-up comedy, one-woman shows. I was also a licensed medical massage therapist in, a long time ago. And um, I think stories are great uh, teachers of uh, concepts and principles. So I, uh, there was this arts education company and I was auditioning for um, this company and I was going to have my safe song. And, and as I walked through the door, something inside me said, go for the really, go for the really ballsy one, go for the ones that like that brings out your energy. And it was quite, it was quite an experience. So it was this very over the top satiric song called I hold your hand in mine. It's like, I hold your hand in mine, dear. I kiss it to my lips. And anyway, the the thing is that I I took out a rubber hand halfway through because (laughs) it's all about the night you died. I cut it off. I really don't know why now I get, you know, tear stains (laughs) in my tie. And I mean, it was so over the top and, and it was so interesting because there were two auditioners there. Mm -hmm. And one who I call Mr. Perpetual Bad Day, who, you know, one of those people with the sour looking makes like the loud sucking noise. You think, do they have spinach between their teeth? What is it? Let me give you some dental floss, dude. But he was like, like the whole time. And then there's like Mr. Crunchy, you know, he's like from L.A. It's like, it's cool, you know, with the Birkenstock. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I sing the song in the middle of it. The Mr. Perpetual Bad Day goes, stop stop he goes running towards me in fact they both come running towards me but with very different feedback so mr perpetual bad day comes running towards me and goes stop i've seen enough i've seen too much get out <laughs> now I've, I've never had that experience in an audition for the other one comes and he's like yeah, like rocky theme song da, 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 da. Yeah. he comes like yes i've been looking for an actor like you all day Yes, moxie, chutzpah, energy, comedy. Yes. And it was like this split screen experience. Right. Right. And I went, here I was the top acceptance for one and the top rejection for the other. And I think it's it was such a powerful story. I always I always say that when you have the courage to sparkle and you own it, three things are gonna happen. One is you're going to have more energy. You're going to feel more yourself. You're going to feel more aligned. Two, you will probably irritate some people who are undimmers. And then three, you will find your tribe. And two out of three ain't bad, right? So that's to me the essence of authenticity is if I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to blast them with my big energy. It was like really listening. I call it a belly barometer and saying, where does my energy want to go? Who is my audience? What? What impact do I want to have? And take a risk out of that essence. So I hope that kind of explains a little bit about my take of authenticity. Well, no, I, I love it. And I think that does clarify a great deal for a, a lot of folks. And I, you know, it's something that we're kind of taught not to do. It's something that we're conditioned, you know, we're conditioned to fit in. Right. Totally. And um, yeah, whether that's professionally or at school or whatever, we, you know, don't stand out too much. Don't, uh, yeah, there, there's so many examples of it, but that not fitting in, right, yeah. is a great way to be invisible. Totally. totally. And, and when we're fitting in, like with our right. businesses, right? Right. Then we are 
invisible. And totally. you know, one of one of my challenge questions to clients is how are you dramatically and meaningfully different in the eyes of your target customer? Right. Oh, I love that. Well, that's that's a keeper. That's well, wonderful. And if they're not sure, because sometimes they're not, like, why do people yeah. love you? Yeah. Right. And if they're not sure, it's like, go ask them. Go find out. And don't, I love your dimmers, right? Don't dial that down. Because oh, when you find out what they really love about you, how do you dial that up? Absolutely. It's a right. great question. So, yeah. Great exercise. Yeah. What, so whatever's making you kind of stand apart already, because obviously you do, if you, you have a business, right? You have right. clients, you have people hiring you. They, sure. There is something they love about you. Absolutely. Right? It wouldn't be so, a client. Yeah. So what, right, exactly. So what is that? And, you know, maybe talk with them, find out why, why did you have me back? You know, why, why do you Absolutely. like me? Why did you hire me? And then take that and dial it up to 11. Yeah. I love it. I love like to get the set point and then dial it to 11. It's, yeah. it's really interesting. You should say that because I had a coach that asked me to ask all of my clients, especially my favorite ones to give mm. three adjectives to oh, like describe that, yeah. me and to describe me and my work. And what, what were the themes? Was, what's that? What were the themes? Insight. Well, vivaciousness or energy, which didn't surprise me, but insight. And almost nine-tenths of them, I am an insightful, self-reflective person, but every, like 95% of the people, insightful came up almost hmm. number one. And it was so great because it inspired my copy you know, right, right. I'm happy how people I talk to people in networking, and I give that same exercise to my clients. Three adjectives. You know, if you ask people to write reviews or testimony, fill out surveys, it's like, okay, I'll put it on the things. <laughs> right. But three adjectives. You know. A little easier. Exactly. Um, but that's a great. How are you? Me like how are you dramatically and meaningfully different? Mm, meaningfully different, and I think yeah. that is that's the crux of it. It's meaningful. It's not just to be different to, yeah. you know, try to stand out by fitting in, you know, like trying to just be different, like shock or right, right. You know, heard above the noise, but meaningfully different. I love no, that. Great. Totally. Cause that's the, yeah. Doing it for shock value is one thing. Right. But that's, that's short term. That's not long. Short shelf life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people aren't going to connect with that. So that kind of gives us, that's, you know, part and parcel of the authenticity piece. It's like right. what what makes you different, like for real, right? For real, for real. Absolutely. And real then, real. yeah, and then, um, yeah, that's kind of I want to go into your idea, your your concept of beautifully honest, because I think yeah. when you can embrace that and go further with it, as you just demonstrated, you're going to connect with the right audience, the right Absolutely. people, and and yeah, there are going to be some people who don't like you, and I I, I do awesome. think totally, yeah. but we're we're so conditioned right. to not want anybody to not like us, right? Yeah. That we so tamp down what's what's the most important part of us. We leave our right. best self at the door. So, yeah. so talk about the beautifully honest. Yeah, idea. well, you know, I I came from being like a real card carrying, uh, recovering, mostly recovering, and sometimes not so recovering people pleaser. But I'm I'm pretty much over that hump. Uh, <laughs> and what I see, I was just a card carrying member, and my mom born and raised me that way, like mo most mothers to their daughters and some sons. But and yeah. what I really, I, I feel like they should call it people displeasing as opposed to people pleasing, because you really displease yourself. 
you resent mm. the person and you're not really connected with the person because you're living, you're presenting this false self. Now, are there repercussions when you stop people pleasing? Well, yeah, because sure. it's a lot easier to reset. It's a lot easier to set boundaries than it is to reset them. Mm. Right? So if you've been in an enabling relationship with people, they're like, what happened? You know, you're not, you're not my end all and be all. But beautifully honest to me. So I, I, I thought to myself, what would be a middle ground? Because when we try to change our habits, we do a flip-flop. That's just human nature. And I, I have a loicism, which I call the diva doormat syndrome. A loicism. Right? Yes. <laughs> Lessons, opportunities, insights, and solutions. So I um, so I have this loicism and I, I say avoid the diva doormat syndrome. And what I find is when people are trying to find that middle ground of just deserving they easily flip-flop between the diva, which is kind of aggressive mm. and entitled. I don't mean the fabulous divas that we see on screen. Right, right. Or the doormat apologizing. So it's like aggressive, not too much on the menu. And mm. what we want is that middle ground of assertive. And I think it's, and the way I see it is honesty and kindness are really great dance partners. Mm-hmm. They they don't step on each other's toes and they don't have two left feet. They actually can dance very elegantly if you know how to integrate it. And if you know the skills and you're willing and you're willing, a lot of it is courage, but there is a, there is a technique, but most of it's really courage and really being committed to the type of relationship you want with that person to really, to really have a transparent and honest relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's my beautifully honest. I love that. So let, let's go in a little bit more about the boundaries thing. Cause you mentioned, um, you know, it's easier to set boundaries than to reset. I think that's immediately that resonates. That's immediately obvious when, once you've said it, right. Not necessarily what we're thinking about ahead of time, but how do you go about doing that in a beautifully honest, authentic, kind way? Yeah. It's a really great question. And I have a very simple little, I call it the ABCs. Mm -hmm. So when you have to set a boundary, you, I mean, it's always better to do it preemptively than when you're in the middle of it. But sometimes, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Um, So I think of it as like the ABCs, which is A, you acknowledge the situation. B, you be kind, specific, and clear what behavior or what you would see like to change. And then C, you have a call to action. And it's even better if you can make the call to action, not a monologue, but like a dialogue, that it's a Mm. collaborative call to action. So um, I'll give an example from one of my clients. I mean, it was a different, it was much different. This woman kept haranguing her because she was, um, because she was working part-time after having worked full-time for like 25 years. And she was like, oh, well, you part-time people, you part-time people, <laughs> you know, like, like she was privileged. She had worked her butt off. And right. so one day I said to her, um, she goes, oh, she just, and I find myself, I'm apologizing. I say, hey, I worked 25 years before I got to do part-time. I have a young kid. Like I said, you, you owe her no apology. So I just had her go to the person and say, um, you know, you mentioned that you think, uh, you know, you mentioned that I work part-time and you seem to say it over and over again. And yes, 
I work part-time and I'm just so incredibly grateful that I do. And it was like, just that. And she was like, have a great day. And her call to action was not apologizing. It's a little bit of a more of an amorphous example, but her call to action was have a great day. The mm-hmm. woman never bothered her again. Well, yeah, but you're you're owning it, right? And you're, you're comfortable it. with it and people don't, yeah, they react differently to yeah. that. She didn't have to have a, hey, when you do that, it upsets me. I mean, sometimes you have to, right. you know, right. but sometimes it's just, sometimes you can acknowledge, hey, I see that you were really, you know, you really put your best foot forward here. And I think we need to go back a few steps. And what I would like is blah, 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 blah. And whenever possible, if you could say, why don't we both come up with a solution that can, sometimes it's unilateral, but if you can make it, you know, really a a conversation, then people feel less trying to be controlled. Sure. Yeah, of course. They're not being directed the same way they're being included. But I love that. So, so tell me this, I know transparency is an important thing for you. Why is that? Why, why is transparency important in the workplace? Oh, it's a really great question. Oh my gosh. Do you have an (laughs) answer? Well, here, let me tell you this real quick, because I, I, so when I first joined EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, like back in 2010, 2009, 2010, somewhere in there, um, they had the university, which is a big event, was here in San Francisco. And I went down to the Palace Hotel and I went the back of the, you know, we had a free pass for the day for the keynote and stuff if you're a local member. So I went in there and I listened to this guy and he told about this terrible story about his business, you know, almost crashing and burning and that he uh, opened up everything. He, you know, he, he was completely and radically transparent with his team, explained where they were financially, what all the problems were, the challenges you know, what, what he thought they might need to do to fix it, but it wanted to include them and figure out what they, you know, wanted to contribute or could. And that if we made it through this, that in, you know, uh, December or whatever, we're, everybody's going to Hawaii. We're taking everybody to Hawaii. Oh. Right. And and it worked, right. His story of course was one of success. That's why he was on stage. Because when you, when it doesn't work, by the way, you don't get to be <laughs> on stage at the university. Exactly. Right? <laughs> Too bad. because You write about and, it in your journal, you talk to your therapist, right. then you start right. over. Exactly. Right, but sometimes <laughs> sometimes those lessons are the ones we need to hear Absolutely. too, Absolutely, right? yes. But, um, but anyway, when he said that, and he talked about that kind of radical transparency, opening the books and everything about the business, wow. that, that scared me. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm standing in the back, we were, we, were, we were doing all right, but it wasn't great. And I was like, man, if I did that, would anybody be here next week? Mm-hmm. You know, it scared the living yeah. daylights out of me. And I really kind of stood there for a minute. Now, it also made me think, though, that we needed to be more transparent. And eventually we got there. So there was a process and yeah. everything was wide open, you know, a couple of years later. But there was, you know, it wasn't that Monday I went back and went, hey, everybody, check it out. Um, right. But yeah, what what have you seen? What's the usefulness? What's the importance of this? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question, and I love your example because another one of my loicisms is stretch don't break. So for who he is, first of all, he was down in the trenches, so there was no way but up. It also might be more of his personality, and it might be more of the culture of the work team, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody, I, I think. Nobody is doing it right or wrong. I mean, everybody has to find their own way. And I think stretch, don't break. Don't 
don't go over what you are really, I don't want to say comfortable because being comfortable is not a goal, right. but what, what stretches you beyond a certain level where you're like, this doesn't feel, this doesn't feel safe. And I think checking in and saying, does it feel safe because my old fears are coming back? Or is it, is it literally knowing, knowing the players? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's such an important thing, but I, I think, Right now, I mean, we're in such a work, it's such a strange culture, you know, the quiet quitting or the not so quiet quitting or um, everything in between. And, you know, the, the studies are every year we see the same study, which is employees feeling appreciated, employees feeling like there's growth and development available for them. I mean, the employees that you want, you know, employees who can learn and grow. And how can you do any of those if you're not being transparent? You know, if you can't have a conversation with a team member to say, you know, here's where I really see the gap and here are some specific. And for you, where do you want to go? And if you really want to go there, these 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 behaviors or you might not. We don't know if you're really in the right skill set. Let's let's give you six months, not as a probation, but let's give you these six months to develop these skill sets. And if it's not a good fit, let's find another place because you're a top-notch employee. I mean, people would probably feel really relieved or even like challenges in the company um, to be transparent within, but not just lip service for why we're not giving you a bonus because that happens a lot. And meanwhile, the CEOs have $100 million bonuses. So um, I think transparency you you can't you can't have an employee that feels appreciated that is going to participate and be fully engaged and who doesn't really believe there's growth and development for him or her mm-hmm. if there's no transparent there's no foundation and so i think it's very very important and each culture has to decide what work culture what does authenticity look and feel like i mean i think it would be a great interview question hey, we're really committed at Acme, blah, 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 company of authenticity. How important is authenticity to you as an employee? What does it even look and feel like? Here's what it looks and feels like for us. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Wouldn't that be an interesting question to have in an, in an interview? Yeah, I do. I think the look and feel like is that defining, you know, and is it valuable to you or, or what have you? Yeah, I think that would be a really interesting question to start to get in the side, inside the heads of the candidate as well as be able to um, maybe explore a little bit and explain a little bit more about what, absolutely. what our culture is like. Yeah. yeah well, absolutely. Let me, let me ask you this one though, because I, I've seen and heard and, you know, fielded questions around the right. culture thing being, and I'm a big advocate, but of it being the uh, another catchphrase or another thing you're supposed to do, or we don't really control it or what have you. What's your take on that? I'll share mine if you we don't control in terms of what what our culture is or it's just a frou-frou you know soft thing that people are talking about and it's not a real thing we need in business or what have you oh that it's that work culture is seen as fluffy yeah yeah i i think that is a real um misunderstanding because people (laughs) spend even even remotely even if you're working remotely you're still spending at least a third to a half of your day at work Right. And if you don't have a work culture or you're not clear about what your work culture stands for, it's, you know, let's be real. We recreate our family dynamic in the workplace. 
And I mean, we just do. I mean, my brother used to say that he he rose up the ranks to being president of his company. And he said, you know, he said being a president of a big company was like adult daycare, you know, like, you know, people still, their stuff comes up, their stuff comes up. And if you don't have, I mean, to me, a work culture is, are we really solid with what the values are? Are we really solid with what our priorities are? Are we really solid with what's important? Um, it makes all the difference in the world. And people have a people have a soft landing and a safe enough space, right? There's always going to be some politics in most cultures, work cultures, but they know where they stand. And I think it's really important. It's it's interesting. I um had a client of mine in a in a company that was being sort of poached and courted for another company. And he's, he was very good at what he did. And he said, I'm just really worried about the work. Cult. That's all I care about. I'm in such a toxic work culture that I want to make sure I'm not trading seats on the Titanic. Like, how do I approach <laughs> that? How do I approach that? And I said, are you willing to take a risk in the interview and not get the, not get the job? He goes, absolutely. I said, ask them point blank to give an example of how they value what their work culture stands for and how they value it. Mm-hmm. And first question, he said, you know, I just want to get something out of the way. Work culture is everything for me. Wherever I go, I will be a top performer, but I can't do it at the risk of my well-being. I'm not a stranger to working hard. And, um, and they said, oh, we have a great example. Um, we had a very a super, super duper high, high performer that was bringing in 60% of the revenue for the company for a specific office. And we fired him because he's a jerk. They used the other word. He was pandering. He was doing things out of integrity. And he thought he was bulletproof because Mm. he brought in 60%. And they're like, no, we'll, we'll, we'll find the 60% revenue somewhere else. He was violating their values. Yeah. That's how, I mean, 60% of a office's revenue, huge. It's and, that began to be an easy decision, but but still, that? that could not have been an easy decision. Yeah, you know. But if you're going to stay true it. to your values, and yeah, and and he said, "When do I start?" Like he <laughs> really, he was so impressed. He said, "We have zero tolerance for for nastiness. It's okay if you're direct, and you know, yeah. we don't do covert behaviors. We don't, you know, that's not who we stand for." And so that's a really great question. You have to be willing to know that you might hear an answer that's just checking off the box and then you have to do some due diligence. But mm-hmm. if you really, I think work culture, especially for the younger generation, is so vital that um, if you don't ask those questions, you're not going to really get the right answer. You're not going to get an answer. Well, first. I love your example too, though, because if he, you know, if it really is the most important thing and if you really is trying to find alignment and fit, then asking that question and being really transparent, candid, forthright with it yeah. is it's the best way to get your answer. Because yeah. what, what if you don't ask it, right? What if you're afraid of asking it, that means you're not, you know, I would much rather get a no right now than yeah. find out a month, two months, three months from now that this is not the right fit. Absolutely. And they do too. They don't want to hire as somebody. an employer. Absolutely. Oh too, right? You do not want to spend that kind of training hours and lose all that revenue. And, you know, Oh, now we have to hire someone else. 
Well, and I, I love your example too, because from, from, you know, I work primarily with employers, right? So mm-hmm. they're, you want to, you want to talk in the interview, you want to use in your job posting, what a lot of times people try to kind of hide or only mention at the end or whatever. But if you have a culture of hard work, say so. Absolutely. Say so. Because yeah. hard workers are going to like that. Right. Yeah. And and Absolutely. people who don't want to work hard, they're not gonna like that. <laughs> and so, define what hard work means. Does hard work sure. mean nights and weekends, and you know, or does hard right. work mean when you're here, you're present? We don't want any surfing on the internet. We right. want you to really focus on prioritization. Yeah, and I think yeah. it's the same thing with risk. Um, mm-hmm. In my book, Courage to Sparkle, mm-hmm. I have a whole section on culture assessment which is Mm. it's just it's really just a continuum it's everything from uh complacent to wholesome to um very kind of robotic like everything is about the system to uh very growth enhanced innovation is celebrated to um energetic fast paced to toxicity Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you're somebody who's a rabble rouser, you do not want to go into a very complacent, you know, we dot the I's and cross the T. I'm not talking about, you know, checks and balances, but right, right, right. You're be unhappy. You're going to constantly be frustrated that they're not pushing it to the next level. Right. Exactly. Exactly. No. That, and, and conversely, right. If you are a cross the I dot the T meticulous person yeah. and you want that security, you know. Do you want to be in that always pushing to the next exactly. next thing culture too? No, that's that's awesome. Well, Lois, this has been great. So, how can people get in touch with you aside from your aside from your book? Sure, thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. I really and I was intrigued how you got your name Sturdy, um, and it, you said it was uh, your your uncle or my my grandmother's maiden name. I love that Sturdy. Really? Such a great business name too, Sturdy. Um, yes, I will. My website is uh, loisbarth.com. And on loisbarth.com, you can go down on the menu for free gifts. So there's lots of free gifts. And then I also have a new release of my book, Courage to Sparkle, that just came out, the new and expanded post-pandemic version that came out last week. So you can see awesome. my Line. Yeah, thank you Great. so much. This was aw- this was really awesome. Yeah, well, I'll be grabbing it for sure. But um, are there any other thoughts you'd like to leave us with before we wind up? Um, I do. I do. Like I said, I have a lot mm-hmm. of loicisms. And um, I, the one that I really, uh, there's so many of them. They're my like, like little creative children. But the one I'll leave you all with is uh, moving from criticism to curiosity. That I mm-hmm. feel like when we can move from criticism to curiosity, that's when things change. And to how I define that is criticism, it's what's wrong. And curiosity is what's possible. And when we could use our challenges to really embrace the lesson and the learning. That's when growth really happens. And that's when people sparkle. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Appreciate your time and all your sharing. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you for listening.